And we are live with our 196th episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Seth Law, at Seth Law on Twitter. <laughs> Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. Um, we've got our first post. Woohoo! Um, welcome, <laughs> like... Yeah, we're, we're back at it. Um, we got a few things to talk about this week. We've got guests coming up over the next month. Um, quite a few, actually, that are already scheduled. I think you can already see them on the YouTube channel in some of the upcoming episodes, but we'll be promoting those as well. Um, Ken and I are both going to be in Phoenix in a couple of days for Cactus Con. Uh, if you are there, please let us know. We'd love to see you either in the workshop. We'd love to go out and get drinks. Um, or, you know, just talk AppSec in general. We have the workshop on Saturday morning, and then we're doing a state of AppSec, uh, which we will broadcast over the channel as well during the conference. We'll see how that goes. Um, uh, we've been working with the conference organizers on making sure that we have the technical capability to do that. Um, and most likely, I mean, we'll pull in Mike McCabe from MBM Consultants uh, to talk about current state of AppSec, uh, and probably a couple others from the conference. It would probably just depend on what, you know, who's available and how we're feeling that day after our, um, after a workshop, workshop session. Otherwise, if you are looking for secure code review training, our first public offering of 2023 will be the DEF CON trainings in uh, Bellevue, Washington, up in Seattle. Uh, in April, I think our, we're teaching, I believe it's the 13th and 14th, if I remember right, Ken. So for DEF CON, it's 12th. I thought it was 12th and 13th, but I could be, I, man. No, it's 13th, 14th. Um, we're, okay. we're also trying to balance out uh, Kernel. Oh, it's Con. Kernel. Yeah, that was 12th, 13th. It's, it's yeah. The 12th, 13th. So uh, um, whatever happens, we're going to make sure that you know people get covered and we're teaching the course. Um, we've got a couple of other resources that we can pull in to make sure that we get everything covered properly. Um, but that's where it's at. So either of those will be an opportunity. Uh, the DEF CON one, we are updating content for, uh, for the course in general, uh, just to make things a little bit more streamlined and also to pull in more open source code bases as we, as we do secure code review. Um, yeah, I think that's everything that's on my list, Ken. You have anything else? Yeah, I mean, I was just going to mention that, uh, like, because last year, towards the end of, I don't remember which episode, I kind of teased out, oh, I'll have some more, uh, I'll, I'll have something to talk about. And, uh, yeah, I had to wait a little bit. Um, but, yeah, so I'll, I'll just say it. Um, next month will be my last month, so... Uh, it's January. Yeah, February will be my last uh, month at GitHub. I am uh, leaving. I love GitHub. Uh, has nothing to do with GitHub. Uh, huge fan of all the folks there. Um, really sad to say goodbye after after almost. Well, no, it's been nearly five and a half years yeah. with them. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, but very excited. Uh, you know, I I, I got to remember what I'm what I'm allowed to say at this stage. Um, so I'm, I'm building a, a company with James Wickett. Um, if, you know, and if you're not familiar with James, James, uh, he's got, uh, so he was, he, he's put on, uh, he was the original um, kind of creator of LastCon. Uh, I think it's now in other people's hands. And DevOps Days Austin as mm -hmm. well. He, he worked with others to build, build out DevOps Days Austin. And he was like one of the early employees at uh, Signal Sciences, um, like I think employee number one, actually, like after, you know, obviously the founders. Um, and then let's see what else. He's got like a LinkedIn learning course. It's really popular with Karthik on uh, devs. Uh, I think it's DevSecOps. So anyways, uh, the, we're, we're, we're um, I know I'm allowed to say that we're, we're going to be building some security tooling, trying to, uh, to make some security tooling cool again uh, type deal. Um, but, and, and, you know, applicable to, today's landscape we'll say but um anyways it's all it's all very exciting uh it's a huge chapter um we're in stealth mode for a bit there'll be more announcements about what we're doing in a few months um but yeah we're funded we have a company um ready to go so anyways 
that was the stuff I was kind of teasing out and this is, uh, it's happening. So I just wanted to, yeah, kind of make that announcement. So that's about it. Well, congratulations. I know, I mean, you know, I, obviously I've been a little bit more privy to those discussions and that, um, that life changes we've been talking the last, you know, few months on what does Ken's life look like? Right. But, um, congratulations. I think it's going to be a good ride and, um, always exciting to see what is yeah what's coming down the pipe like what you guys are um, coming up with uh, i'm sure we'll have a lot more discussions on it once you can publicly talk about it more and you know things get launched right well i apply for github now that they will have an opening yeah yeah no I, I, uh yeah yeah, yeah no um I don't think they're doing any hiring at the the, the moment, you know, uh, but uh, it's, a good, it's a good call. I know you're, you're joking, but uh, yeah, I don't think they're doing hiring at the moment. Um, that being yeah, said, though, if you, if you do have a job or if you're looking for one, the jobs channel in Slack has been fairly active. There's been a couple of few things posted over the last little um, after over the last couple of weeks. I know there's been a lot of things going on, you know, across the industry and layoffs happening. So um let us know if you know of jobs or yeah. Yeah. Check I, that channel if you want. I've seen an uptick. You're right. Like definitely there's, and actually, you know, that's the thing is like uh, right now, I hate to say this cause you know, it's very unfortunate for people that are getting laid off, but for those that need good people, it's pretty, pretty fortunate time. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of talent out there now um, to your point. But yeah, man, I don't know. I'm just excited. It's going to be a really good time. I'm sad to leave GitHub because, I mean, obviously, like, I'm a huge GitHub fan voice. Always will be. Still still am. Always will be. Always have been. Um, so anyways. That's but... it. He's, 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 so so from, from now on out, we're going to be sponsored by GitLab, right? Is that what that's <laughs> God. Just, yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. No, I, yeah, no, I love GitHub. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things, I, I mean, like, the thing is, is, you know how this feels when you're, middle-aged right right like i'm i'm you know turning 40 this year uh not that far away and uh you know you you can start reassessing like how how many uh how much do i have left in me to, to to go out and build a company before obviously you've done it before i've done it before and there's still a desire to to, to build something um that is really cool so um mm -hmm. in any case personal desire not nothing to do with that with github so yeah uh yeah, so that's really fun. It's going to be like pretty crazy, and yeah, no. And then I guess this weekend we've got Cactus Con, so that's going to be a lot of fun meeting up with people. I hope that comic. Do you remember the comic book store we went out to at Cactus Con? When yeah, we, we I had do. lunch at like a Mexican place, and like next to it was a Mexican restaurant, and then next to it was like the comic book store that had just like crazy good stuff in it. I do actually. Yeah, I remember wandering through there. I'm pretty sure it's well. I wouldn't know. I, I don't live down there, right? And it was pre-COVID, and it was probably like, you know what, dude? That was almost six years ago. Yeah. It was five and a half years. It was actually right as I started a GitHub, I think. Yeah, it probably was. That being said, I you know it's pretty close to the conference center, so I think it is Gotham City Comics still exists. Yes. So awesome. we'll have to go wander in and check it out. See what see how see how things have gone there. Um, uh, you know, you come to Absolute AppSec for uh, comic news and uh, travel advice, right? That's. I think they come here to. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know why people come here. So, <laughs> I don't know. yeah, we'll, we'll throw everything at you. See what. See what make, makes sense. See. That's see what thing. sticks. We're gonna pivot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're gonna start reviewing uh, comics, right? Yeah. There we go. Graphic novels. Sorry, graphic novels. Yeah. Hey, what you do in the privacy of your own home, Seth, is up to you. All right. We're here to talk about technology. Sweet. You over here with your graphic novels. Exactly. Um, anyway. So, <laughs> moving on. Moving on. What, what should we talk about today? I, I mean, the first thing that I did, you know, that was on my mind, um, just because Jason on Slack was bringing it up yesterday, um, was microservices. Right. Um, yeah. And the question that he asked that I wanted to highlight is fairly interesting, right? Um, any folks have, okay, so this is Misfire 3 or Misfire 3, however you say it, Misfire, I, whatever, Jason. Who's a coworker of mine right at, now. 
Yep. He's, he's over at GitHub, um, but he does have a question around it. So he says, any folks have insight on secure code review relative to microservices, how you potentially approach it differently from monoliths. Um, and then namely thinking of IDing potentially risky attack surfaces. Um, and I'm pr primarily thinking of inputs as attack surfaces in this scenario, but also realize I might have the wrong model there. Um, so that was going to be my question to you, right? Like I, I, I chimed in a little bit in Slack, but um, your team from like a, you know, offensive security perspective, if you come up against a microservice, uh, what is it that you're thinking about from an attack surface perspective? How do you go after it? Yeah, the common things are kind of like... Um... So like basic hygiene type things are, are the first layer of service to service okay. auths, usually like the important one, right? Like, especially obviously amongst microservices, there should be service to service auth. I know you're going to love this logging and auditing, basically telemetry. That's going to be important, <laughs> you know, in terms of like basic security hygiene and stuff. And then as we look at attacks, you know, obviously one that's, that's pretty prevalent is, is uh, server-side request forgery, just because, you know, a lot of these services are making web calls out to other services. Uh, so that's always something to be cognizant of, I guess, is like SSRF. But when it comes specifically to Microsoft microservices edge cases, which I think is another layer that people might want to, like, maybe that's part of the question, right, is um, really... This is like such a weird thing that happens, but there will be some front end system. I don't know, like it could be an, a web app that you developed. It could be like AWS's, you know, service, like a cloud set of services where they, they put out all the routes and then there's like services to do off, whatever, right? There is a front end that takes information from someone and then parses that, makes some decisions, repackages that data up, most commonly repackages that data up and then you know, gives it off to microservices. And then somewhere in between there, there were decisions made upon a, the data structure that came in. And then that information was gobbled back together in a different way and then passed on to the back end, or maybe just passed through, but perhaps certain parts of the request were used to process uh, decisions on the front end. And those same parts were, or sorry, different parts were used to make other decisions on the back end. And why I'm saying this is like, we've definitely had authorization issues because the front end said, well, hey, based off of, you know, we'll say some parameter in the URL, the, the path, and uh, based off of some header, we, we took those two values and said, you know what, you're allowed to do what you're asking for. Except that when we repackaged the data and forwarded on the back end, who is just assuming that the front end did all the proper authorization, like they're not doing any additional authorization, right? They're assuming that was done. They're then reading maybe a different element in the request. And they're saying like, why I'm saying this is like, sometimes your middleware layers, like they look at, you know, if you ask for params, it could be a param in the body. It could be a param in the, the it could be a post request that you're sending params in a body. But if you also send the params in the, the, the HTTP path, maybe that's being respected. It's just whatever oddity and edge case that backend has, right? So there might be some other header that's actually being respected and then it's like, okay, well, there's a mismatch. Like you're now editing or, or doing something with some resource that you weren't authorized for. You, they were using another part of the request and saying that's what you were authorized for, but like the backend didn't know that. So I know that's really abstract without a diagram, but uh, I think that's really the one that I see. And that's why I'm trying to just like summarize it with like misma mismatch of expectations and how data gets processed between the front end and the back end systems. Yeah, that's a really long tangent. Sorry. No, I, I mean, it's a good call out because that is a, an edge case. A lot of times. So when I analyze microservices, especially as a consultant coming into an organization, they only give me access to the microservice. Right. And that, that's like what you're bringing up is always the point that I try to make to them is that, um, you know, depending on how your microservice handles all of these different edge cases and the data that's being thrown at it. There, it can introduce security flaws or, you know, or problems that you didn't intend because we're not doing a full integration test or a full security integration test because we are just looking at the microservice. Um, and I mean, this is, you know, traditionally the problem that we have in the, like the security services space is that we get scoped to a very specific, right, uh, like 
technology, a very specific application, a very specific microservice, and we don't really see it running in its full production environment. And so those edge cases are things that we cannot test for, right? I can't find um, a problem with the communication between, you know, the web application and the backend microservice if I don't have access to the, the front end web application um, to exercise all of those different paths that exist. Um, and some of the most interesting vulnerabilities that we see, especially coming out of the bug bounty programs, come from those edge cases. Um, and that, that's the reason why you kind of want to pair it. Like, I, I know I'm coming from a security consulting perspective um, and, right, like you're probably paying us to do code review or something like that is very scoped. But that's why you should also have a bug bounty program, right? Like, I'm going to tell you that all day long because I know that there's those edge cases. And I think you would say the same thing coming from GitHub is you've got this multi-pronged approach for finding vulnerabilities, right? Yeah, um, our teams and our tooling don't have the same focus and time that a researcher mm -hmm. might have for the less or for the more complicated things that take much more time to discover and are definitely not something you could, you could just easily. Yeah. Review and find. Right. Yeah. So that's, yes, you're right with bug bounty programs. And also because to your point, like, so you're you're seeing an application code, you're seeing code bases and, but only, the, the like a half of the code bases because like even if you're not like even if you had the front end applications uh like code and the back ends code there's still this other set of software that's running like varnish or whatever it might be you know yeah WAFs, proxies reverse proxies, nginx yeah whatever right and that's all software so that's that's all that software that's running that can't be really analyzed well it's not, it doesn't make sense to look for the vulnerabilities we would look for without runtime access, honestly. Like that, that's, mm -hmm. that's, so even if you have the front end source code, the back end source code, you're still, you still have this, this other software that needs to be tested, but probably not statically. I mean, you can look at rules and whatnot, but probably not statically. It's probably much quicker to just send some fuzzing, like for, for web cache poisoning or for request smuggling or whatever it might be that makes sense. So, anyways, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, one of the interesting ones that I've been playing with a lot recently when it comes to, you know, those sorts of environments and microservices specifically as, you know, regular expression um, abuse, right? Um, and not necessarily the denial of service, not, you know, um, but this, you know, these, I mean, for routing and, you know, SSRF like style preventions that people put into place. A lot of times they use these deny lists or block lists to prevent bad things from happening. Right. Um, so as long as the URL contains, uh, you know, a proper host name, for example, then it's allowed to go out. That would be more of an accept list. Right. But it's very easy to add that in um, embedded in other parameters or other things to get by those regular expressions. Um, what I'm finding is it's, and I know this is a developer as well. It's very hard to write a regular expression that only accepts the data that you specifically want, especially in the context of a dynamic application that is sending tons of routes or send tons of um, data. And you've got multiple locations that you're trying to let it go out to or multiple IP addresses that it needs to be able to interact with. Um, I mean, most recently we've seen some, you know, accept lists that were built around access and um, accidentally, like, you know, they didn't realize that the accept list would accept the IP address that was contained in the X forwarded for header. Right. Right. Um, and so even though there wasn't like 127.0.0.1, it had public IPs for this organization included in that list. And all we had to do is go out to Aaron and look up the public IPs that were associated with that organizations, enumerate them all. And at some point we found one that worked, right? Like an mm -hmm. external interface or whatever coming out from that organization, going to this Amazon service um, or Azure service, I think it was because it was like an IP list that was built into the, or the application itself. And so we had to have discussions about, okay, if you're doing a get remote IP in, um, in, .NET, right? Like, what does that actually give you, right? 
because the Git remote IP, you know, it'll look up the network stack, but it also accepts that X forwarded for header as a valid value for remote IP. Um, and once it, once it's in there, right, like that's, you're making security decisions based upon that. Hey, guess what? You can bypass that, that control that exists. But again, that's, you know, that's playing with these regular expressions and how we trust the code, how we trust the frameworks as that we're putting into place. Because if I was to look at the code itself, it looked fairly innocuous, right? It was just like doing a comparison of what's the remote IP and here's my, here's my list of valid IPs. Um, but we were able to bypass that because of the, the conditions that exist and where it would actually pull from. Um, so that was one um, URL encoded values is a very fun one to play with as well. Um, right? You're denying slash admin um, in the URL um, from any, you know, any IP address except the ones that you want to accept. But, you know, in the, in the URL, if you put in a percent 65 admin or the, you know, percent 61. Yeah. DM. If you don't know this, Seth, you're not a professional object. <laughs> I know exactly. I know, yeah. That's what burp uh, decoder is for. Is so I exactly. can flip between URL encoded values. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, if you, if you are all, you are all encode some of those values, especially when you have like, Nginx is, is, or F5 or some WAF is implementing an access control list based on a URL. It doesn't see that. It doesn't match that, um, you know, specifically because it's looking for ADMIN and not the URL encoded value there. But when it sends it to the server behind the scenes, like the WAF turns around and says, okay, this looks good, sends it to Apache. Apache does a URL decode on that and allows that access to, to be established. And again, it's just playing with those regular expressions, recognizing where those controls exist. Um, I've started to put a lot more uh, effort into, okay, I get an error message back about something is blocked. Why is it blocked, right? Especially from a dynamic perspective. But if it, if it is in the code itself, let's, let's take a look at that. Like, just don't take it with, uh, you know, don't take it for gospel, I guess, until you've tested it. Um, just because it says something is denied doesn't mean you can't find your way around it. And I mean, that's what the bug bounty researchers do as well. Yeah. And that's the thing with microservices in general, or just a lot of software stack, like stack software is that, yeah, you're going to run into all these things that are very hard to find statically. It's very hard to find statically and much quicker to find dynamically. But of course there's, there's downsides to that too, but Ultimately, it's it's that weird thing of when you have this much software working together in unison, cobbled together, there's bound to be, there has to be, because of the different layers of that stack, data translations that occur, some massaging of the data, parsing of the data, reparsing, you know, it, by the time it gets to, to wherever it needs to go, there's a lot of places where things had to be all kind of done uniformly, but they're not done uniformly. It's different tech stacks. And, and so that's... Uh, yeah, that's, oh, I saw the, the response to the burp decoder. Yeah, we were just joking. Like nobody, I can't remember, I can't remember all that stuff. Like I used to be able to, but I can't remember all the symbols anymore. Um, <clears throat> so, but anyways, uh, you're, you're right. I just, I think that's, that's ultimately what it comes down to. And, and then, so like you have to kind of seg segment out what things you look for statically, what things you look for. Um, dynamically is my major takeaway. And when it comes to microservices and it comes to layers of the tech stack, you kind of have to, yeah, yeah, it's a blended, that's a blended approach. Yeah. And then, I, I mean, the other thing that I called out um, in Slack was uh, input validation, right? Um, and output encoding, right? Um, basically being a good data steward when it comes to, to being, a, you know, to being a microservice, um, if I am getting data that is unexpected in string variables, um, I should at least be encoding that. Uh, you know, there's so many of these services will will spit back HTML and error messages, or you know, HTML characters in response values, um, just because they don't necessarily care what the strings are. They're you know they're processing um, and which is great. That's what you want a microservice to do, but they don't, they're not recognized the risks that's associated with it. And when we start taking this layered security approach, that's what I'm going to expect uh, a secure service to do is actually, you know, it not be the weak link in that chain. Um, 
yes, it probably shouldn't get back to the microservice if there is, you know, HTML characters in a, you know, in a name or something like that. But I would rather have that catch it than push it back to the database and have it redisplayed, right? Like there's, there's just so many places that we can catch this stuff, like the technologies you're talking about, Ken. And um, if, you know, each one has got to have its own security mechanisms and security validations built into it. Um, and so I've gotten pushback on that in the past, right, from different developers that they're like, well, the, you know, the microservice isn't where we want to implement that. I'm like saying, but why not, right? Like, you know, if yeah, you've, you've got the capability there to actually test whether something is an integer and you're failing if it's not, an, you know, if it's not in the value that you expect, why can't you do the same thing with strings? Um, because you should, right? I, I, yeah. I, I don't know if that's a larger argument to be made or if that's one that you've seen. I could see, I could see, um, like, I could see keeping the data as is, and I could also, I mean, meaning, meaning, I could see an argument for that. But if you're going to do that, then there has to be some, yeah, you have to have like work with other engineers to architect like expectations around. Okay, so when does the data, like, what do we do with it? When does it become something? How we sandboxed ourselves so that you know, like, any, any, any of that kind of data is like we're cool with just passing it on and then making sure there's clear expectations that no, once it hits this security boundary, then it has to be normalized. Um, however, I'm saying that because there, there's always caveats to the, the advice we give. And of course, there may be times where it needs the raw data and, and not to do any translations or, or modifications of that data. Um, having said that, though, on the larger, on the accounting for that caveat and that edge case, yes, I agree with you. Like that is something people don't do. There, there are, I mean, most, uh, yeah, I guess you get into the, the situation of are, is a mic, how, how like down the rabbit, like when you talk about the microservice, uh, a microservice, it's usually written in something that doesn't have like a ton of features, right? It's not like, say like Ruby on Rails that has like nice little validation routines you can neatly attach to any of the, the content that's being put into a column in a, table in a database, right? You can do that very easily. You can overwrite validations. Like if there were validations you imported that were like doing things, meaning you imported a library and it was inherently doing stuff, you can even overwrite those validations and do your own. You can say to your point, you can say, well, listen, um, these columns are only going to be these types of uh, these data points, right? You can do all that stuff usually very conveniently with other uh, with like more opinionated, heavy-handed frameworks, but you can't really do it as easily. Um, I mean, you can, but it's it's not as convenient. I would say uh, in the technology stacks that a lot of microservices are, are are built in is what I'm. So you have to be very explicit about it, and that's that's obviously like a difficult a difficult thing. Yeah. Um, well, and I I mean it's part of that flexibility, right? Um, and I get it. Um, I, I've actually analyzed quite a few microservices running through some things like MuleSoft, right? Where it's not necessarily a coder that is implementing the you know the microservice because they're you're they're doing some sort of data translation from you know from one service to another or whatever that is. Um, and that, that's typically the pushback that I get is, well, you know, oh, it's MuleSoft, it's fine. I'm like, yeah, you say that, but then all of a sudden I'm seeing like strange things show up in Salesforce because you're pushing all this data through this microservice to Salesforce and it has unintended consequences because you weren't a good data, data steward with that, right? Like you didn't validate it. Um, and that's, you know, you start talking about ETL tools, um, in a large corporate environment, that's one of the things that I expect to see is the cleaning of data, right? Um, I don't know. I like it, it, I go back and forth on that one, but I do report it. I get pushback on it. I'm okay with that, right? Because at least it starts the conversation and it forces them to justify their decisions rather than just, oh, we're just we're not going to worry about it with this this microservice specifically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, anyway. it's, is no, because it, it's not a. That's not a one. That's the. That's the. Uh, that the difficulty here is not a one size all fits solution. But yeah, that's definitely a problem. I. I it's funny because going back to what you were mentioning about the IP allow list and like the data being like different than, you know, as as a 
traverses. Like Neil Matatal, NDM, who we've had here, here a bunch, right? He he did some. We had some allow or deny list uh, for IPs for something. I forget what. Um, and uh, so he was working on it, and and I think that. there was some frustration for sure because of what should the values that should have been passed in weren't being seen. And instead, I think, I don't remember the exact details, but I want to say it was almost like he was seeing the IP of like the front end systems only and not like the actual request or something like that. There was some data mismatch between what was happening in the front before. And this isn't even like a microservice. This is just like this regular, regular web stack that has like multiple pieces, you know, running in front of the application that yeah. do something with the data. And so anyways, it's just kind of, man, like big things, things are hard. <laughs> things are hard. Applications yep, are hard. Yeah. Applications and it's are only hard. getting more difficult. It's not getting easier. In some ways yeah. it gets easier, but in many other respects, it does not. Yep. Yes. Yes. Well, good. Uh, we're like 38 um, minutes in or 31 minutes in. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And all we've talked about is API security. I, I mean, there's, there's a lot to cover there, right? Like I just, um, yeah, I, I mean, you, you kind of brushed over some of the base level stuff too, right? Like your authentication and authorization, um, especially service to service um, authentication and authorization. Uh, but it, it's, it's very much like a database call or something else, right? Like you want to have some layer of security there so that in the case that, um, someone gets access to like the web server, like that front end web server. They can't just they can't just walk into that web service without at least providing some credentials, at least figuring out something else. Like there's the security layered or this, yeah, the layered security approach is what is kind of what we want across the board when it comes to these different components. Yeah, because if you exploit some system that's living inside of, let's say you're like all in the same like cluster, right? And so your apps can talk to each other um, once once you're inside the cluster, but like, yeah, from outside, no. But somehow you've compromised one service or got an RC or whatever. It's like, well, okay, cool. Do you really want, you know, a potential RC or even just SSRF, right? To then potentially equal... A, f- a compromise of another microservice because there's no service to service off. There's no like, Hey, this, this request should have this, you know, data minted out. Not to say there aren't workarounds if you're like literally have RC and you work, you know, like inside yeah. the application. But anyways, my point is, is like, you want to make it harder. Right. And yeah. <laughs> anyways, which is why auditing <laughs> in that case becomes, or telemetry becomes very, very important. Yep. Yep. Definitely does. So well, good. Okay, so that's API security. Um, the other article that I had pulled up for today, and I mean, we got a couple more. Um, this one's on dev.2, right? Dev.to. Um, and it's a post from earlier this month. Um, but really, I wanted to use this to spur further discussion, right? So I'll post it here quickly. Um, this Ashalon design is asking, you know, already saying, don't skip on security, add these must have features to your web apps. And so he's built a list of, um, you know, I, I think it's five or six different things that your web or Ash Allen, I should say, um, has built a list of five or six different things that he thinks are must haves for security of an application and you know first off right like if we run through the list he's got mfa so multi-factor authentication um sending of activity suspicious activity notifications right session management features okay whatever that uh, logging of users activity um sending emails when users email changes um notify when users password is reset checking for pwned passwords and well, okay. Check for up-to-date information and allow granular permissions for API tokens. Okay. So that's it. So he's got what, like eight items that are there. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, do you agree or is there, uh, is there, do you feel like there's something missing? Like he comes out of the gate with MFA. Is that something you think every web application should have? 
The way you said, I would normally be like, yeah, of course. But now the way you said that, I'm like, well, this feels like a trap, man. Uh, I, no, it's it, it's not. I'm not trying to, to, to oh, okay. make it a trap, right? I mean, but, I, I would, yeah. I mean, like, I, unless there's some like odd reason why you wouldn't. I, yeah, I would definitely say that would be. And I would honestly even step further and say, don't allow SMS unless, well, God dang. I mean, so if I, <laughs> well, I can't say that either because some people don't understand or don't want to put an authenticator app on sms is easier sms is more prone to uh sim swapping attacks and you know just general shenanigans um like social engineering so that's but then 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 you have to factor in uh like context right like how secure sensitive is the application who's the user base and all of that um so if you're a really sensitive application and you've got very technical users yeah i would say no don't allow sms or at least not for any privileged users with privilege privileges or permissions are, you know, significant. If it is a, uh, I don't know, so social media, like Mastodon or something like, I don't care. Like SMS it away. Who cares? Like, I, I mean, I wouldn't care, but you know, whatever. So, um, it's, I'm sure I could get torn apart for saying that, but in any case, whatever. So yeah, I agree. What do you think? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I think it's more nuanced than just MFA everywhere. Right. Um, I, you know, sensitive applications. Yes. I think it's more about user choice as well. Right. Like you, you want to make your app as secure as possible, but you also want to give people the option to upgrade their security if they need to. So in the case of like Mastodon or Twitter, right. Like, yes, you know, having SMS as MFA, that's great. Right. But allow people to pick an option that is more secure that they're more comfortable with if that's something that they want, right? Um, like we've seen situations where those accounts, um, you know, the access to those accounts because they have millions of followers um, become a, you know, a, an attack vector and a way to scam people. And so that's the sort of thing that you want to prevent um, from happening. Um, I, I still find it interesting that there are quite a few just like banks and, you know, other online portals, financial information that don't necessarily require MFA, that don't have MFA enabled. Um, but on the flip side, I've also seen those sorts of sensitive um, applications tend towards longer passphrases and encouraging users to use 12, 18 20 characters in a password, which says, you know, which does also up the level of security there. Right. Um, so it's, it, it's one of those like, okay, is, is MFA really necessary if you have a, you know, very strong or very strict password requirements? Yes. I like, you know, depending on the application, it probably should still be an option, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, it is better or worse, especially when you let them choose like more in like insecure options when it comes to those MFA tokens or those, you know, the sending of SMS or something else in those secure environments. Um, so, you know, I go back and forth on that one, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, I don't have a good answer for it, but it is very situational, at least for me personally. Um, let's see. He spends a lot of time talking about security, like um, activity notifications, whether that's passwords, whether that's logins, um, changing of the email address, um, logging of users' activity. I, I mean, so how how crucial do you find those sorts of controls in a in a web application? Well, in that one, it wouldn't be crucial until it is, right? So the same for like. Um logging the user's activity, which is absolutely critical. So those things become crucial. Uh, they're, they're the only after usually, you know, something has happened, right? So I would say they're, they're, they're pretty, pretty critical, but they won't feel like it maybe at first when you first mm -hmm. deploy. Um, the one thing that's not on here that I would like to see um, is the uh, re-authentication after a certain amount of time for... Um, for, for more dangerous operations, right? So there are things that, like, so let me, let me, let me say, finish that thought out and then praise them for one other thing. So yeah, long story short, 
if uh, you, you see this on GitHub, for instance, if you want to delete some like an organization or delete uh, or do something destructive, right, or security impacting or whatever, basically something that's sensitive and uh, we want to make sure that you're actually you, um, that's a, usually a good time to require, you know, maybe using your UB key again to like validate like you're you still, you know, or whatever, having some kind of wall that pops up and doesn't allow you to do stuff until, uh, you know, you've, you've, you've uh, attested to being you. Um, so that's the one thing I think is missing. That's, uh, you know, pretty, pretty important. I think the other thing though, I want to praise them on is man, the granular permissions for API tokens is so key because, you know, if you remember, and I think most people do because it's still available, uh, we, we have the personal access tokens at GitHub. Um, and it's kind of, there are, there are, there are scopes, but the scopes are uh, pr pretty rough, right? Um, now those scopes are very granular in, in the personal access token pats, as we call them, V2, the, the latest mm -hmm. version. They're so much more granular. Um, this is also why we moved away from OAuth apps to GitHub apps. Well, one, one of many reasons, but, you know, GitHub apps allow for, again, very uh, granular permissions, both from, you know, what the app is allowed to do and then the intersection of what the user who installed the app is allowed to do. So there, there's some pretty granular decisions that get made there. But uh, starting with OAuth apps is, is rough because imagine you uh, you authorize something, you get an access code, that access code just gets, yeah, I mean, that's like, you right your access that access token is you but you've used it to maybe authorize some third party thing it lives in that third party system someone compromises that third party system you can see where i'm going with this so um and 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 then again it's like totally you not not it's not it's most privileged not least privileged in that case so anyways um i just want to praise them very very heavily on on bringing that uh, they allow granular permissions for API token section introducing mm -hmm. that there. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and honestly, that's not the one that I see a lot um, in most web applications. It's, it's typically I generate an API key and then I can use the API key as myself. Um, uh, but there aren't necessarily restrictions on what that API key can do at least, or I can't, I'm not able to actually restrict it outside of, Hey, now I have this API key that I can do something with. Um, yeah. I, so I don't know. I mean, I looked through that list, authentication, authorization, auditing is in there. Um, the other thing that I'm, that I feel like is missing is some sort of just like discussion on like we've already we've we've already touched on it a little bit today, but on data validation, right? Um, what's being sent to the application, checking to see whether or not it's actually it it is what you expected before acting on it, right? It, it's one thing to be like, yeah, we you know we we watch for SQL injection, and um, I think that was was that in there? Not necessarily. Uh -uh. Yeah, I don't see a discussion on that or following like framework security best practices. That's probably the other thing that I would include oh, point, is, yeah. you know, I mean, he does say we know we need to prevent SQL injection, CSERF attacks, cross-site scripting attacks, and so on. However, these yes, are me. usual security fix. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. To your point, actually, because like a lot of the uh, frameworks now have the ability to... Um... If you read their documentation, they have a way to put like define a content security policy that gets replicated everywhere, like in the configuration files. So, like to your point, yeah, like that's actually I can't believe I forgot about that. Like, if you don't have CSP, like what are you doing? <laughs> you know. So yeah. Anyways, yeah. Yeah. So like, I, I mean, you know, to be fair, right? Like he's pushing, you know, on okay. What oh, these are, are security features for users, though, right? Yeah. Yep. Not for like hardening the application. Yeah. 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 That's what it feels like is, you know, these are features that he wants to discuss to encourage users to stay security conscious, like to know what's going on with that app and the security of their account specifically. Um, and then allow them to be proactive about that while giving them constant confidence that you take it securely. Um, seriously. So I, I mean, honestly, like, I feel like that's a, that, that's a good list for 
um, for presenting that face, right? Um, obviously, there's always going to be more things that we can add and we can nitpick. Um, but in general, that's a good place to start, right? Like you have a consumer application, you want people to be, um, yeah, to be confident in the security of the application, uh, give them those features and, you know, and then listen to your users about other things that they want to see, whether that is other options for um, MFA tokens, like the ability to actually use something like a YubiKey, um, if that's if that's even necessary for your application. Yeah. Um, man, we could probably riff on this one for a while. Because every time you say something, I'm like, man, what about this? What about that? <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot. I, I like the start, though. I like the start of this. I think it's a someone wrote somewhere in one of these slacks or said, said, you know, these are probably just things that everyone should do, but they don't. And so this is nice that someone's explicitly saying it, even if it is a PHP dev. I'm totally joking. <laughs> totally kidding. Even, even if his book is all on like Laravel or whatever, right? Yeah. Lar it's okay. Battle tested Laravel. Laravel. <laughs> Wouldn't that be uh, just like using Rails or something? No, just kidding, right? Uh, <laughs> only PHP. in PHP. Sorry, yeah. sorry. I got to stop. I got to stop with my PHP. Um, I'm not much better. I don't know why I'm making fun of PHP when I've been a Ruby fanboy for like, or at least people think that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Little do people know I've, I, I can code very well in Ruby, but I just don't code in Ruby that often. Most of the times, Literally, like probably Python or Node or, yep. yeah, those are probably the two more more like day to day. Anyways, long story short, <clears throat> I have nowhere. I I don't have. Uh, I shouldn't speak. I shouldn't say say anything. I don't have that's that's why we're gonna move to what Erlang or Go or uh, yeah, just Rust, just to you know, just to change I messed it up with a little bit. Elixir for a little bit, and I liked it, but uh, the Phoenix framework didn't have the uptake I had kind of expected. At least it hasn't so far. Yeah. So, well, I, I mean, that brings us to another point, right? Like, I know we wanted to to talk about this a little bit on the air today, um, given that we're doing the workshop on Saturday. Um, uh, like, I wanted to pick out a a project that we could actually analyze and then maybe repost some of the um, or post the results in Slack and maybe on you know social media as well of anything that we find. Um, so I, like, after I wondered we talk, was, tell them after we tell yeah. them, yes, yes. We don't want to get into another Ken, situation. Ken doesn't need any more Twitter DMs about how I'm the worst. So <laughs> we, we get enough of those. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, no, but uh, do you, are you asking the audience to give us a project or recommend projects? Is that kind of what we're yeah, saying? Or is, is there anything on your radar, uh, your radar? That, um, there is, that but I don't remember what. It, oh, there, there was actually, um, but I, yeah, I don't remember. I'll, I'll, I'll find it. Um, yeah, there's. Um, yeah, we'll we'll figure it out. But I would love love to hear from the listeners though. So in Slack, if you feel like posting uh, recommendations. Uh, in general or, or even or yeah even if it's just like a language and framework that you're interested in um like we've done that a couple of times in the after dark episodes where we're pulling about stuff pulling apart stuff that we haven't analyzed in the past right just um yeah so if you've got a language or framework that you are you know that you would like to see uh let us know i the other thing that we could do is turn to hunter.dev because they have a bunch of projects that are listed and specific um, bounties associated with, you know, with hunter.dev. And we've had those guys on in the past. So maybe we'll pull one of those projects and take a look at it. Um, you know, there's some interesting ones in there, right? Like Jupyter Notebook stuff, JavaScript apps, draw.io, right? looks like that's one that's, that's in there. Um, I don't know how complex these applications are, so I don't know how much we'll actually get through in what the four hours of the workshop that we have. I know I, it's, and I'm trying to find this thing, but I, anyways, I'll, you know, I'm going to stop here cause I'm stuck in my phone for a while. Um, no, yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's going to be, um, I'm trying to think like, cause there, there was a project anyways. All right. Sorry. It's bothering me because there's a project I have top of mind, but anyways, if you, if you all think it's something, please put it in, in, in Slack. Uh, otherwise we'll just, 
choose something, I guess, and figure it out. So yeah, um, that's kind of the goal, though, is to not be like proficient in whatever we're looking at. You know, mm-hmm. it's no fun if we like did our homework and vetted this thing and like look made sure it like fell into our specific skill sets. Like in the class, we tell people um, choose something that you don't know how to test. You don't understand it. It's not like your bread and butter and uh, then follow the, follow the methodology. Yep. Um, and I mean, that was it, right? Like recently at deep sack, cause at, you know, that one I ended up doing on my own. Right. Um, mm. And let's see. Yeah, there was. Which I was really bummed about, but whatever. I, uh, Next next time I will be be able to travel. It's, it's a rough time. Yeah, there was an app that um, that I pulled out that was actually a Rails app because I'm not as proficient at Ruby as I am at you know Python and some of the others. It was this one that was called Bridge Troll? Um, <laughs> what? Here I'll, I'll show you. It's called Bridge Troll. BridgeTroll.org. Right. It's an event scheduling application. Right. So it allows you to. You know, create events, sign in, sign up. Um, I, I, again, I had no knowledge of it. It was just one that the the students picked out as we were going through the course that we found because we were looking at different Rails applications, and that's what that was the walkthrough that I did. Um, and you know, I, I discounted at times, uh, but you know, it's like when you're you're biting off an open source application like that and attempting to analyze the security of that open source application when there aren't things to necessarily find um, it feels so true to life when we're doing a secure code review, right? Like um, Ken, most of the time when we do the courses analyzes VTM, which is the vulnerable task manager that we've written. It's based on Python Django and has specific vulnerabilities that are in the code base. Right. So there's always kind of that little payoff that you get. Um, which which is nice in a workshop format because there's things for you can am, to analyze and say, hey, look, this is where they went wrong. This is what this is what actually happened. Um, but it's a lot harder with those open source applications, right? Um, it's uh, you, you, they they use you know somebody else found it previously. If they have a vulnerability, it's been patched, um, so there may not be as much um, surface or as much as many findings in that application, but that is very true to life, right? Like we, we nitpick, we find things. Um, sometimes they're, you know, critical vulnerabilities, but the majority of the time, it's probably a low medium severity issue might be that you can add up a couple of them. You know, if the code has never been looked at to get to a critical or a high severity. Um, but a lot of times it's just improving the overall security of that application and making sure that it doesn't have those, those soft fuzzy edges that you, that, that can cause problems down the line. Yeah. I was looking at bridge troll. It looks pretty simple at first glance. Um, but I wonder, you know, that's first glance, right? Meaning like not the code looking at the live running site. So, uh, yeah. So did you? So you're saying uh, y'all didn't find much, or you did find a bunch? I, I just want to be clear. No, no, like we did. You didn't find much. Nope, we didn't find much. But I mean, we were able to follow the process. You know, get the routes pulled out of it, um, all that kind of you know, all that jazz. But it was. I mean, it's always an interesting um, exercise. Like, um, and yeah, at some point, you and I need to do another. Uh, AppSec after dark and break down some other code bases and maybe the workshop will inspire that. Um, I don't know. I like, we, we may try and stream some of that. I, you know, I haven't necessarily decided or record some of it, see if there's some interesting stuff that pops out of it. Um, it really depends on who shows up and, and what the environment looks like when we get to cactus con though. Yeah. Well, they use device, so that's going to, See, I, I, I mentioned that, and Ken's already looking at like actual, oh, I, I know, looking at all the like, code. Yeah, I know. I'm in the code now. Yeah, yeah. He's starting to break it's, it down. What What is the first thing that we always say? Like information gathering. Okay, uh, what are the dependent libraries? Like, oh, he pulls out device. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the first. Maybe thing. maybe we'll revisit Bridge Troll. I don't know. Oh, that's right. Yeah. One that's in the um, 
that's in the Slack channel was at the at the course there. It was it was good time, right? It was fun to do. Well, they're using the sanitized gem. They're using OmniAuth. They're using Rack cores. So there's definitely some uh, security centric stuff. New Relic uh, for telemetry. Anyways, Postgres for development. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anyways, like yeah, there's there's some some interesting stuff here, and then uh, they've got their config file for device. Oh, they have some device overrides. We could, we should maybe re- revisit this, but, but, but see, this is what I'm oh, good at. We don't do that. Right. We do what we're bad at. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. It looks yeah. like we, we, we found some like, uh, yeah. I mean, there were some sniffs around SQL injection and cr- actually cross-site scripting as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Looking at my note back at my notes. It might be interesting just to kind of revisit that on the podcast at some point um, to talk about what it was. Um, but I, cause I remember like we, we thought we had found SQL injection, but you couldn't actually trace it all the way through. So it was more of a, okay, like a insecure building, like string concatenation for SQL. Um, but that you couldn't get it from the input, the user input itself. So, so it wasn't a full injection attack anyway. Um, yeah, we'll definitely get back into that as we as we run through the workshop. Absolutely, yeah. They've got a lot of things that you could configure and devise that aren't. So, anyways, it, whatever we end up choosing, we'll bring our findings back to this podcast. I think next week, do we have? I think next week we've got a special guest. Uh, is that correct? Let me look. Um, yes, I think you are correct. So next week will be January. Uh, 31st yeah yep. sal olivieres uh is joining us i think this is from uh we met sal through leaf i'm not if yes. I'm mistaken so yeah and he's got a be, new yeah should be good yeah i know i know because that's what i was trying to remember i like there. yeah what was the new thing i don't really remember off the top of my head i read it and then i you know yeah, he's got a blog post that's coming out. Um, um, right. Let's see. Where is I? Where am I looking here? Sorry, I'm trying to pull that back up. Um, what the blog post actually was. <clears throat> uh, let's see. Yes. Sal submitted to B sides. He's working on a blog post about the things we're doing to help customers keep their API keys safe. That's what it is, right? So tracking of API usage. So a lot of what we were talking about today, it'll be interesting to to pick his brain on what it is that um, segment or Twilio now, right? Like is actually doing to protect that API key, um, notifying owners when they want to delete keys. Um, Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like so, Twilio and Segment, Segment Twilio, Twilio, really, right? Um, I feel like they're becoming like, uh, like kind of like the new Netflix of AppSec <laughs> and slash DevOps slash CloudSec. I guess it's all related, or they're just releasing new tools and con- useful content like all the time for the open source consumption. It's pretty awesome to see really good folks over there. Yeah, it is. Um, I don't think that's been released yet, though. Now that I'm saying that, I hope we're not getting too far in front of where they're actually at. But I think it is going live here pretty soon. So it, it'll be interesting to talk to them about those those features, that feature set, what it is that they like, what risks they have recognized. Um, yeah, there you go. And, you know, we'll talk more about that blog post as it comes out, too. And again, if you have any ideas for things we should be, or a thing we should review at CactusCon Live, uh, let us know. Put it in Slack. We'll take a look. Yep. And I do have swag. Um, I'll be bringing it. I'll be bringing some shirts to CactusCon. But if you would like a shirt or some stickers, just ping me on Slack. And yeah, we'll send it to your physical space. Um, Can't do it. Can't necessarily do that over Slack. So. I think I've got some shirts too, actually. I do. I have some, yeah. not many, but I have some shirts left over too. So I'll probably try and, uh, yeah. We'll coordinate that. Yeah, we'll yeah. figure that out. So, uh, cool. 
All right. Well, well that's good. That's I think that's everything oh, for this week. Yeah. I'm not going to talk too much through it because there's, you know, we don't need to. I just want people to be aware that this was released like a week and a half ago or so. Um, just because uh, it's actually useful. So it, well, I shouldn't say actually, but it's very practical. Uh, so uh, it is a image magic policy evaluator open source tool. I just gave you the blog post, but I'm going to give the uh, actual uh, link to the GitHub repo so you can, because um, they have a live running site you can paste your policy into, but you can also run that same site. I think it's like a Python site, uh, like a Django site, uh, website locally, and then paste in the, the config. Um, but anyways, there's the uh, the GitHub link too, and I'll put these in, uh, I'll just put the GitHub link in Slack, so... Anyways, uh, I say that because, like, you know, obviously we've had like plenty of RCs inside of Image Magic. A lot of that's based off of what you allow in your config file. So you should go and use this tool if you're using Image Magic. Um, so, yeah, anyways, just wanted to put that out there. Cool. All right. Okay. Well, cool. I guess that's everything for today. Uh, meet, see us at CactusCon or watch for the upcoming ep live streamed episode for, you know, state of. AppSec at um, CactusCon, and otherwise, we'll see everybody online. Later. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>